How y'all doing that? Show like thank y'all for stopping by for another episode of this Removing the Illusion podcast. Man, look at here. Now, y'all know before we get started here, I always got to tell y'all what I'm smoking on one of these good cigars. And tonight, I'm smoking on a Padron 4000 Natural. Man, let me tell you something. You know, after listening to that little podcast I did before on cigars, yeah, it got, got me a little bit more insight on this thing because I'm still a newbie to this thing. I've only been smoking for maybe about a, probably about two years now, you know. And uh, that that little podcast gave me a lot, a lot of insights. You know, for one thing, I particularly I'm, I'm more keen to liking these cigars that's handmade. You know, that's hand rolled. You know, not 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 these ones that's manufactured by the machines. You see, I like a natural cigar that has that natural flavors, not have all them chemicals and additives in it. You know, like cigars got a lot of chemicals and additives in it. You know, to get people hooked and mess with your body chemistry. I like these natural cigars. So tonight when I was in the humidor, matter of fact, I just uh I just left from up at, at Ra's Cigar in Porioka's tonight is Friday night. And our little cigar group, we got together tonight like we always do on Friday nights. And uh went up there and, you know, had you know, had a meal with the fellas and smoking one of these good padrones, play pool. Matter of fact, one of our pool buddies, Tim, Tim good at everything. I finally beat Tim in a game of pool tonight. Boy, I tell you, they've been kicking my butt in pool. I ain't that good at pool, but I'm going to learn. I'm going to keep learning. I'm going to keep learning. I'm going to keep learning. If they keep beating me, I'm going to keep learning. I told them guys one day I'm going to get so good, I'm going to beat all y'all. But the night me and Tim went head up on three games of pool. He beat me the first game. Second game, I beat him. And the third game, I about beat myself. I had him, but I called the wrong pocket for the eight ball. He went in the wrong pocket. So you can say I had him, but I still lost. Still make no matter. But I had a good time up there with the fellas like I do every Friday night at Raw Cigar Emporio on top of the world, Florida. Let me tell y'all something. Y'all ever around these Central Florida ways? Gotta stop in Raw's and have you a good stick. Raw's got a nice humidor, too. Real nice humidor. Just like uh, I was telling y'all on the last episode, you go down there at Cigar Castle, you go to O2's and you can't find nothing to smoke, then you ain't no smoking no cigar. So if you go to Raw's and you can't find nothing to smoke at Raw's, you ain't smoking no cigar. <laughs> I'm just telling y'all. They had a real nice time with the fellas today. And like I said, after listening to that last, that last little pie talk there that I did, you know, I want to stick to something more natural. And one of the cigar buddies, you know, older cats, you know, they always smoked them Padrones. Because with a Padron, you can't go wrong at all. Never, never had a bad Padron. You know, just, just like uh, Fuentes. Fuentes a good stick too. But, you know, uh, I've been kind of under the weather a little bit. So, I usually like a variety, you know, mix my little pattern of cigars, but I think I stayed with the Padron because Padron is more natural, and I'm saying I'm taking them more to a shine to the, these Padrones. And like I say, tonight here, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, I'm smoking on this Padron 4000 Natural. Now, let me tell you all about this thing here, okay? This, this thing is construction and appearance. The Padron 4000 Natural features a single, very simple, classic-looking band. The band is a dark brown with white writing such as says Patron on top, handmade on the bottom, and imported to on the sides. The wrap is a dark, fairly consistent brown with a very slight reddish hue. There are a few amount of veins and a bit of oil, so it's well made. The construction is very seamless. And there are no soft spots on this thing here. You see, you can roll that thing there, just put them soft spots. You can't detect no soft spots in that thing, man. I'm going to tell you this thing. I got one right here. Matter of fact, the one that I had at the cigar spot, I was smoking in the car. I didn't fully smoke it because I got to play in pool. And so I brought it on home in the car with me. So I got the, probably got maybe, you know, maybe a quarter left here. And I like to smoke it all the way down to the bottom here. 
So this thing is very consistent brown with a very slight reddish hue. Like I say again, there are a fair amount of veins and a bit of oil, you know, to it as well. The construction is very seamless and there are no soft spots that can be detected. I got it right here in my hand here, just like on that picture right there. Y'all see that thing in my hand, right? The cap of the Padron 4000 is a natural, very flat, single cap, which looks well, which looks well and applied. Now, let me tell you about these flavoring notes now. The wrapper of the Padron 4000 Natural has notes of hay and a sweet natural tobacco. The foot has a similar scent with a bit of hay, sweet tobacco, and a little added coffee scent. To prepare smoking the Padron Natural, I choose a straight cut. See, now that's what he say here. I'm just telling y'all what he's saying here, but I use the X cut. I used to go V cuts, but what I do is I take a V cut and I make it into an X. That's how I smoke mine. Now, he got a straight cut on his right here. See what I'm saying? So what I do is I use the X cut on mine. And on the cold draw, there's a flavor nuts, natural tobacco, hay, and a sweet herb note. Let me tell you something. It is. It's a good stick. You see, a lot of I smoke cigars. Like I said, I like the natural because I smoked some cigars and I got that chemical taste. So I know it wasn't handmade. It was made in a factory, one of the machines, and they put some little additives in it. But with this Padron, you can you you can you can taste these natural notes. And like I said, I've only been smoking about two years, so I'm not no aficionado or anything like that. So I kind of developing a palate for what I like, and now I can kind of taste what I like. And like these notes here, the sweet herbal note, you know, the nuts, a little, you know, tobacco flavor. You know, you can kind of taste that in this thing here. Now, the smoke characteristics of this thing, of this Padron Natural, kicks off with its rich blend of nuts, natural tobacco, hay, wood, and a light spice to it. The draw is excellent with the perfect resistance, easily proven with a full body, smooth, cool, rich smoke. After each draw, a little bit of nuts, spice, and wood lingers on the palate, providing a nice finish. And you know what? That's sure enough, right? You see, when I usually, when I, when I, I'm, I'm not a drinker, right? But when I smoke my cigars, I usually like to drink some water with it or maybe some ginger ale. And with this Padron here, you know, I was drinking my ginger ale one night and man, I liked it to taste. I kind of liked it. I really, really liked to enjoy the taste that I was getting out this thing, man. Man, I really enjoyed this stick here. Now, after a, rich, a little bit of nuts, spice and wood lingers on the palate, providing a nice finish. During the first third, it's almost a bit of slightly sweet graham cracker flavor which fades in and out of the profile alone for bitter, earthly flavor. The burn in the first third is a little uneven, and that's true too, because I was looking at it when I was smoking it tonight, it, it did have a nice little uneven, but the ashes kind of hold pretty tight. But it, has, it, it does have an uneven burn to it. Now, it didn't burn out too quick on me. Now, I'm up here telling y'all what, 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 what I'm reading here, but I'm also at the same time giving you my experience also with this, with this stick here. It was an uneven burn, but it wasn't that bad. The ashes really, really hold tight on this thing here when you smoke it. You see what I'm saying? So what they saying here, the burn in the first third is a little uneven, but doesn't require any corrections. And that's true. The strength in the first third is a nice, solid medium. And that is that that's so true. Even when I put it down to shoot pool for a couple, for a couple of second minutes, I went back to grab my stick. You know, it was still burning. It was it's like a slow burn, too. In the second third of the Padron 4000 Natural, the rich blend of nuts, hay, spice, natural tobacco, earth, and a slight sweet graham cracker flavor. In this third, the wood becomes more defined as a rich oak. The burn in this third sharpens up quite a bit and becomes very uneven. The ash holds firmly. Now, that's not going to tell y'all. Before I even read what he's saying right here, that's the truth. The ash did hold firmly, like I told y'all. I put this thing down and came back to it. It was still had a nice little even burn to it. It didn't burn fast. 
and the ass was holding his real, real tight. So he showed, he showed up right about that. So I, like I said, I'm reading this thing here to y'all, but at the same time, I'm going to tell y'all, you know, what I get out of, what I got out of it too. So if you come across something, he's saying that I ain't, I, I ain't experienced in, you know, I'll let y'all know about it. But so far, he write about what he's saying here. Okay. Well, the past. Okay. Let me, let me back up. Say the burning the third sharpens up quite a bit and becomes very uneven. The ash holds firmly, which is true. Well past the inch point. The draw remains excellent. That's true. It didn't have a hard draw to it. Even though I had that V cut on it. Easily providing a full body of smoke. That's so true. After each draw, a little bit of oak earth spices remains on the palate for enjoyable finish. And that's not, I, now, that's true, too, because I can taste some notes in there. When I hit my, my ginger ale, it kind of enhanced it a little bit. So that's kind of true, too. Now, I'm going to tell y'all now, for myself here, you're talking about all these spices, oaks and earths and remains and all that kind of stuff like that. I don't know what that stuff is. Now, I do taste the flavor. A different flavor and a different notes, but I can't tell y'all what them notes is, whether they cold coffee or sweet graham cracker or whatever it is, but that's what they say they is. But I can do taste notes in here. And maybe after I get a little good a few years, you know, I can become one of them aficionado and I can taste these notes they're talking about. Now, the only thing I can say right now is I do taste the blends in it, but I can't tell y'all what them blends is, but I do taste them blends. Now, like I said, again, they, you know, they say they herb spices and wood and graham crackers and all that kind of stuff like that. I'm going to just take their word for it, but I do taste some nice little flavor, savoring flavors in this thing, and I don't know what y'all like to drink with y'all stick, but like I said, I drink a ginger ale, ginger ale and, it, and so far what they're saying is right on point. The new leather blends well into the flavor profile, yet the flavor seems a little bit flatter than the first and second third. The strength in this third picks up into the medium of full range. Towards the nub, it becomes a bit softer. But the smoke still remains very cool. That's so true. That is so true. And the Padron 4000 natural finishes very well. And I'm not finished with it yet. You see, but I'm not finished with it yet. Like I said, I probably got about a quarter more to go. So I haven't got, 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 got to the nub yet. But so far, let me tell y'all something. This is a good stick. Matter of fact, before I left the cigar spot, I bought three more to put in my humidor here at the house. Because I like the burn. I like the burn. I like the flavor. I like the smoke. And I really did enjoy this stick. So look, man, if y'all ever, you know, uh, go online to CI or go on Corona somewhere and y'all order y'all some of these Padron 4000 Naturals. And like I always tell y'all, you know, shop local. You know, if you're ever down here in uh, Central Florida, stop at Ross Cigar Emporium. You got Cigar Castle, you know, down there in Tampa. You know, these are some of my favorite places. You got Corona down there in Sand Lake. You got Corona down on Orange in uh, downtown or Orlando. Uh, and I forgot about in Gainesville, University of Florida, because every third Thursday of the month, our cigar group, we meet down there in Gainesville and Lee's uh, Havana Cigar uh, Emporial down there. Cigar Lounge, Havana Cigar Lounge downtown in Gainesville. Let me tell you something. We love that place there. Every Thursday we meet down there. We sit out there. We go across the street. We get a bite to eat. We end up first probably about nine hours. Then we come back across the street over to Havana, uh, cigar lounge, and we sit out there in the rocket chair, smoke cigar, and look at them pretty girls walk by. You know, we were some old dirty old men. We need to get cue cards. When them girls walk by, we put them cards up four, five, you know, like they like like we scoring them. There's just a bunch of old dirty old men. That's all. We ain't hurting nobody. Just out there just looking at some pretty young girls, smoke some smoke some good cigars. But you got you got Lee's. Uh, we, we, the guy, the gentleman who owns it, his name is Lee, and his is called Havana. 
And y'all ever in Gainesville for University of Florida football game? Stop by uh, Havana Cigar Lounge down there downtown Gainesville, and then uh, tell Lee, you know, Maduro, Maduro from Ross sent y'all. <laughs> see, these, 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 some, see, these some of my favorite spots. Like I said, again, you can go onto my website. You can go onto my website there, and I got a place where I got a little uh, web page, all the places I didn't smoke. Gives you the name of the places. It also gives you the phone numbers and the addresses, too, just in case y'all in the area. Like I encourage y'all all the time, I want y'all to shop local. You know, pump some money to the local economy. We got to keep some of these cigar lounges alive because for us old fellas, you know, we don't be going to clubs and partying and, you know, all that stuff we used to do. You know, we like to be laid back, you know, laid back in a nice, safe, quiet environment where we can smoke a stick, socialize, and maybe play a little board games or a little cards or focus something like that. That's what we do. Now, let me tell y'all something. Now, we're going to be telling y'all more about some places because up here, we, uh, we, got some, we, we got some trips planned. And I'm going to be telling y'all about some of these cigar lounges. Well, we're going to be going upcoming here. So uh, we go down there to St. Pete a lot. You know, down in uh, St. Pete, you got Central Cigars. Y'all ever get down to St. Pete? You got to go to Central Cigars down in St. Pete. And you got a place to go called uh, House of Pipes. I love House of Pipes. House of Pipes down there. House of Pipes down in St. Pete kind of remind me of, of one of the most smoky cigar lounges probably out of the 1940s or something. And the ambiance in there <laughs> kind of matches it too. You know, it, 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 ain't, it ain't no new. You know, matter of fact, House of Pipes Cigar Lounge down there in St. Pete is kind of one of them cigar lounges where you want to go to, where you don't want nobody to see, you just want to go get lost. You know, you got a lot of businessmen who want, want to be in the public eye. It's like a, it's a series hole in the wall, but I love it. It's a fantastic spot. Don't have a large amount of cigar selections, but it has enough for you to pick out something. That you can, you can sit there and enjoy and smoke. And uh, uh, it's not the most luxurious, luxurious cigar lounge, but I like it. If I lived in St. Pete, I think House of Pipe would be my home. Because when I say rustic, <laughs> when I say rustic, I'm giving it too much credit. <laughs> but it's a nice cigar. You meet a lot of old, uh, older gentlemen, uh, successful gentlemen, gentlemen business-wise. Like I say, these are guys that like to go to cigar lounges. They like to just go get lost. You know, they don't want to be in the limelight with all that fanfare and all that old pretty stuff. They just want to go somewhere quiet and, you know, and uh, talk to some uh, like-minded folks, smoke a cigar. So, if you're there down in uh, St. Pete, y'all got to go by, just stop by House of Pipes and you got to go to Central Cigars. There's a lot of other little cigar spots down in St. Pete. Also, but those two my two favorite, you know. So we're gonna be talking about that a little later, also. But look here, now that I told y'all all about these cigars here, gonna get off into something that I was driving home. I was thinking about, you know, uh, money controls a whole lot of our lives. You know, I think money control and motivates everything that we do. Everything that we do, money controls it. I mean, uh, money is a motivating factor. You know, and but do we really know where our money comes from? Do you really know who produces the money? You know, whether the money is in the form of paper, which is fiat, or whether the money in the form of digital. You know, digital is just a ledger, just like a ledger, uh, a book bookkeeping ledger, but not a bookkeeping ledger. Ledger is digital now. But do we really know where it comes from? Do we really know who controls it? Now, here recently, a lot of folks, and I, I'm not that big in politics, I'm not the smartest in the world, so when I talk to y'all, I'm just talking to y'all from a dummy perspective, but a lot of folks 
and they talk about President Kennedy. They say the reason why Kennedy got killed because Kennedy was going, Kennedy was going after the money. You know, he had a big problem with the Federal Reserve printing and controlling money. And you had the other, you guys, a lot of, uh, you got, I think you got Bernie Sanders talking that shit too. Y'all excuse my language, but talking that stuff too about, you know, the Federal Reserve and you got Nixon took America out of the gold. I think in the early 70s, uh, Nixon took America out of the gold standards where they can just start printing money now. But a lot of people have had some problems, a lot of presidents and a lot of other influential people that had problems with the Federal Reserve. But what I I studied this thing and I got to thinking about it a little while longer. I said, do you really want the president of the United States controlling the print money? Do you really want Congress controlling print money? Do you really want a politician print money for your country? See, that's how all these countries, you know, that's how the currency fails because they get these dictators and they get these presidents in there and they start printing money and putting their faces on all that kind of money. And then they devalue the currency. Personally, when I looked at, looked off deep into this thing, I kind of like the Federal Reserve. I kind of like having somebody that's not a politician that's controlling the money and the, and the flow of the economy. Because these politicians are panderers. They're going to tell you whatever you want to know. Whatever you want to know. You get a president in there, he starts printing money because he wants to satisfy the people. The money going to become worthless. You get Congress in there. Congress, the congressman is only in there two years. Senators in there a lot longer, but you get congressmen coming in two years and going out, and then you get lifelong politicians controlling the flow of the money in your country and devaluing it even more than it's devaluing now. At least to me, by having a central bank and having the Federal Reserve in control, you know, that's not that that, that's, that, that that doesn't have the answer to the government of a country. To me, I think I like that. If it's going to be a, a, a fiat system in place, personally, I think I like the Federal Reserve. Now, but before we got off into it further, let me run in my mouth. You know, we're going to sit back and I'm gonna, and, and uh, we're going to take a look at the Federal Reserve System. We're going to tell you, we're going to show y'all, you know, how the money created, created, where the money come from, all that good stuff. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick back here with this Padron 4000 Natural and I'm going to let y'all go in it. I'm going to catch up with y'all on the other side. Let's take a look at the Federal Reserve System here. All right now. Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve System also known as the Federal Reserve or simply the Fed, is the central banking system of the United States of America. It was created on December 23, 1913, with the enactment of the Federal Reserve Act, after a series of financial panics, particularly the Panic of 1907, led to the desire for central control of the monetary system in order to alleviate financial crises. Over the years, Events such as the Great Depression in the 1930s and the Great Recession during the 2000s have led to the expansion of the roles and responsibilities of the Federal Reserve System. The U.S. Congress established three key objectives for monetary policy in the Federal Reserve Act, maximizing employment, stabilizing prices, and moderating long-term interest rates. The first two objectives are sometimes referred to as the Federal Reserve's dual mandate. Its duties have expanded over the years, and currently also include supervising and regulating banks, maintaining the stability of the financial system, and providing financial services to depository institutions, the U.S. government, and foreign official institutions. The Fed also conducts research into the economy and provides numerous publications, such as the Beige Book and the FRED database. 
The Federal Reserve System is composed of several layers. It is governed by the Presidentially Appointed Board of Governors or Federal Reserve Board FRB. 12 regional Federal Reserve Banks, located in cities throughout the nation, regulate and oversee privately owned commercial banks. Nationally chartered commercial banks are required to hold stock in, and can elect some of the board members of, the Federal Reserve Bank of their region. The Federal Open Market Committee FOMC, sets monetary policy. It consists of all seven members of the Board of Governors and the 12 regional Federal Reserve Bank Presidents, though only five bank presidents vote at a time, the President of the New York Fed and four others who rotate through one-year voting terms. There are also various advisory councils. Thus, the Federal Reserve System has both public and private components. It has a structure unique among central banks, and is also unusual in that the United States Department of the Treasury, an entity outside of the central bank, prints the currency used. The federal government sets the salaries of the board's seven governors, and it receives all the system's annual profits, after a statutory dividend of 6% on member banks capital investment is paid, and an account surplus is maintained. In 2015, the Federal Reserve earned a net income of $100.2 billion and transferred $97.7 billion to the U.S. Treasury. Although an instrument of the U.S. government, the Federal Reserve System considers itself an independent central bank because its monetary policy decisions do not have to be approved by the President or anyone else in the executive or legislative branches of government, it does not receive funding appropriated by Congress and the terms of the members of the Board of Governors span multiple presidential and congressional terms. Purpose The Ecclesiastes Building in Washington, D.C., which serves as the Federal Reserve System's headquarters. The primary motivation for creating the Federal Reserve System was to address banking panics. Other purposes are stated in the Federal Reserve Act, such as to furnish an elastic currency, to afford means of redis counting commercial paper, to establish a more effective supervision of banking in the United States, and for other purposes. Before the founding of the Federal Reserve System, the United States underwent several financial crises. A particularly severe crisis in 1907 led Congress to enact the Federal Reserve Act in 1913. Today the Federal Reserve System has responsibilities in addition to ensuring the stability of the financial system. Current functions of the Federal Reserve System include Asterisk to address the problem of banking panics Asterisk to serve as the central bank for the United States Asterisk to strike a balance between private interests of banks and the centralized responsibility of government O to supervise and regulate banking institutions O to protect the credit rights of consumers Asterisk to manage the nation's money supply through monetary policy to achieve the sometimes conflicting goals of O maximum employment O stable prices, including prevention of either inflation or deflation 27 O moderate long-term interest rates Asterisk to maintain the stability of the financial system and contain systemic risk in financial markets Asterisk to provide financial services to depository institutions the U.S. government, and foreign official institutions, including playing a major role in operating the nation's payments system. O to facilitate the exchange of payments among regions.
O to respond to local liquidity needs. Asterisk to strengthen US standing in the world economy. Addressing the problem of bank panics. Banking institutions in the United States are required to hold reserves, amounts of currency and deposits in other banks, equal to only a fraction of the amount of the bank's deposit liabilities owed to customers. This practice is called fractional reserve banking. As a result, banks usually invest the majority of the funds received from depositors. On rare occasions, too many of the bank's customers will withdraw their savings and the bank will need help from another institution to continue operating, this is called a bank run. Bank runs can lead to a multitude of social and economic problems. The Federal Reserve System was designed as an attempt to prevent or minimize the occurrence of bank runs, and possibly act as a lender of last resort when a bank run does occur. Many economists, following Nobel laureate Milton Friedman, believe that the Federal Reserve inappropriately refused to lend money to small banks during the bank runs of 1929, Friedman argued that this contributed to the Great Depression. Check Clearing System Because some banks refused to clear checks from certain other banks during times of economic uncertainty, a check clearing system was created in the Federal Reserve System. It is briefly described in the Federal Reserve System, purposes and functions as follows. By creating the Federal Reserve System, Congress intended to eliminate the severe financial crises that had periodically swept the nation, especially the sort of financial panic that occurred in 1907. During that episode, payments were disrupted throughout the country because many banks and clearing houses refused to clear checks drawn on certain other banks, a practice that contributed to the failure of otherwise solvent banks. To address these problems, Congress gave the Federal Reserve System the authority to establish a nationwide check-clearing system. The system, then, was to provide not only an elastic currency, that is, a currency that would expand or shrink in amount as economic conditions warranted, but also an efficient and equitable check collection system. Lender of Last Resort In the United States, the Federal Reserve serves as the lender of last resort to those institutions that cannot obtain credit elsewhere and the collapse of which would have serious implications for the economy. It took over this role from the private sector clearing houses which operated during the free banking era, whether public or private, the availability of liquidity was intended to prevent bank runs. Fluctuations Through its discount window and credit operations, reserve banks provide liquidity to banks to meet short-term needs stemming from seasonal fluctuations in deposits or unexpected withdrawals. Longer-term liquidity may also be provided in exceptional circumstances. The rate the Fed charges banks for these loans is called the discount rate, officially the primary credit rate. By making these loans, the Fed serves as a buffer against unexpected day-to-day -day fluctuations in reserve demand and supply. This contributes to the effective functioning of the banking system, alleviates pressure in the reserves market and reduces the extent of unexpected movements in the interest rates. For example, on September 16, 2008, the Federal Reserve Board authorized an $85 billion loan to stave off the bankruptcy of international insurance giant American International Group AIG. Central Bank Obverse of a Federal Reserve $1 note issued in 2009. In its role as the Central Bank of the United States, 
the Fed serves as a banker's bank and as the government's bank. As the banker's bank, it helps to assure the safety and efficiency of the payments system. As the government's bank or fiscal agent, the Fed processes a variety of financial transactions involving trillions of dollars. Just as an individual might keep an account at a bank, the US Treasury keeps a checking account with the Federal Reserve, through which incoming federal tax deposits and outgoing government payments are handled. As part of this service relationship, the Fed sells and redeems US government securities such as savings bonds and treasury bills, notes and bonds. It also issues the nation's coin and paper currency. The US Treasury, through its Bureau of the Mint and Bureau of Engraving and Printing, actually produces the nation's cash supply and, in effect, sells the paper currency to the Federal Reserve Banks at manufacturing cost, and the coins at face value. The Federal Reserve Banks then distribute it to other financial institutions in various ways. During the fiscal year 2013, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing delivered 6.6 .6 billion notes at an average cost of 5.0 cents per note. Federal Funds Federal funds are the reserve balances, also called Federal Reserve Deposits, that private banks keep at their local Federal Reserve Bank. These balances are the namesake reserves of the Federal Reserve System. The purpose of keeping funds at a Federal Reserve Bank is to have a mechanism for private banks to lend funds to one another. This market for funds plays an important role in the Federal Reserve System as it is what inspired the name of the system and it is what is used as the basis for monetary policy. Monetary policy is put into effect partly by influencing how much interest the private banks charge each other for the lending of these funds. Federal Reserve accounts contain Federal Reserve credit, which can be converted into Federal Reserve notes. Private banks maintain their bank reserves in Federal Reserve accounts. Bank Regulation The Federal Reserve regulates private banks. The system was designed out of a compromise between the competing philosophies of privatization and government regulation. In 2006 Donald L. Cohn, Vice Chairman of the Board of Governors, summarized the history of this compromise. Agrarian and progressive interests, led by William Jennings Bryan, favored a central bank under public, rather than banker, control. But the vast majority of the nation's bankers, concerned about government intervention in the banking business, opposed a central bank structure directed by political appointees. The legislation that Congress ultimately adopted in 1913 reflected a hard-fought battle to balance these two competing views and created the hybrid public-private, centralized-decentralized structure that we have today. The balance between private interests and government can also be seen in the structure of the system. Private banks elect members of the Board of Directors at their regional Federal Reserve Bank while the members of the Board of Governors are selected by the President of the United States and confirmed by the Senate. Government Regulation and Supervision Ben Bernanke, lower right, former chairman of the Federal Reserve Board of Governors, at a House Financial Services Committee hearing on February 10, 2009. Members of the board frequently testify before congressional committees such as this one. The Senate equivalent of the House Financial Services Committee is the Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs. The Federal Banking Agency Audit Act, 
enacted in 1978 as Public Law 95 to 320 and 31 U.S.C. Section 714 establish that the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System and the Federal Reserve Banks may be audited by the Government Accountability Office, GAO. The GAO has authority to audit check processing, currency storage and shipments, and some regulatory and bank examination functions, however, there are restrictions to what the GAO may audit. Under the Federal Banking Agency Audit Act, 31 U.S.C. Section 714, b. Audits of the Federal Reserve Board and Federal Reserve Banks do not include 1. Transactions for or with a foreign central bank or government or non-private international financing organization 2. Deliberations, decisions, or actions on monetary policy matters 3. Transactions made under the direction of the Federal Open Market Committee or 4. A part of a discussion or communication among or between members of the board of governors and officers and employees of the Federal Reserve System related to items 1, 2, or 3. See Federal Reserve System Audits, Restrictions on GAO's Access, GAO slash TGGD 94-44, Statement of Charles A. Bosher. The Board of Governors in the Federal Reserve System has a number of supervisory and regulatory responsibilities in the U.S. banking system, but not complete responsibility. A general description of the types of regulation and supervision involved in the U.S. banking system is given by the Federal Reserve. The Board also plays a major role in the supervision and regulation of the U.S. banking system. It has supervisory responsibilities for state chartered banks that are members of the Federal Reserve System, bank holding companies, companies that control banks, the foreign activities of member banks, the U.S. activities of foreign banks, and EDGE Act and Agreement Corporations, limited purpose institutions that engage in a foreign banking business. The Board and, under delegated authority, the Federal Reserve Banks, supervise approximately 900 state member banks and 5,000 bank holding companies. Other federal agencies also serve as the primary federal supervisors of commercial banks, the Office of the Controller of the Currency supervises national banks, and the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation supervises state banks that are not members of the Federal Reserve System. Some regulations issued by the Board apply to the entire banking industry, whereas others apply only to member banks, that is, state banks that have chosen to join the Federal Reserve System and national banks, which by law must be members of the system. The Board also issues regulations to carry out major federal laws governing consumer credit protection, such as the Truth in Lending, Equal Credit Opportunity, and Home Mortgage Disclosure Acts. Many of these consumer protection regulations apply to various lenders outside the banking industry as well as to banks. Members of the Board of Governors are in continual contact with other policymakers in government. They frequently testify before congressional committees on the economy, monetary policy, banking supervision and regulation, consumer credit protection, financial markets, and other matters. The board has regular contact with members of the President's Council of Economic Advisers and other key economic officials. The chair also meets from time to time with the President of the United States and has regular meetings with the Secretary of the Treasury. The chair has formal responsibilities in the international arena as well. 
there is a very strong economic consensus in favor of independence from political influence. Regulatory and Oversight Responsibilities The Board of Directors of each Federal Reserve Bank District also has regulatory and supervisory responsibilities. If the Board of Directors of a District Bank has judged that a member bank is performing or behaving poorly, it will report this to the Board of Governors. This policy is described in United States Code. Each Federal Reserve Bank shall keep itself informed of the general character and amount of the loans and investments of its member banks with a view to ascertaining whether undue use is being made of bank credit for the speculative carrying of or trading in securities, real estate, or commodities, or for any other purpose inconsistent with the maintenance of sound credit conditions, and, in determining whether to grant or refuse advances, rediscounts, or other credit accommodations, the Federal Reserve Bank shall give consideration to such information. The Chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank shall report to the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System any such undue use of bank credit by any member bank, together with his recommendation. Whenever, in the judgment of the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System, any member bank is making such undue use of bank credit, the Board may, in its discretion, after reasonable notice and an opportunity for a hearing, suspend such bank from the use of the credit facilities of the Federal Reserve System and may terminate such suspension or may renew it from time to time. National Payments System The Federal Reserve plays a role in the U.S. payments system. The 12 Federal Reserve Banks provide banking services to depository institutions and to the federal government. For depository institutions, they maintain accounts and provide various payment services, including collecting checks, electronically transferring funds, and distributing and receiving currency and coin. For the federal government, the reserve banks act as fiscal agents, paying treasury checks, processing electronic payments, and issuing, transferring, and redeeming U.S. government securities. In the Depository Institutions Deregulation and Monetary Control Act of 1980, Congress reaffirmed that the Federal Reserve should promote an efficient nationwide payments system. The Act subjects all depository institutions, not just member commercial banks, to reserve requirements and grants them equal access to reserve bank payment services. The Federal Reserve plays a role in the nation's retail and wholesale payments systems by providing financial services to depository institutions. Retail payments are generally for relatively small dollar amounts and often involve a depository institution's retail clients, individuals and smaller businesses. The Reserve Bank's retail services include distributing currency and coin, collecting checks, and electronically transferring funds through the automated clearinghouse system. By contrast, wholesale payments are generally for large dollar amounts and often involve a depository institution's large corporate customers or counterparties, including other financial institutions. The Reserve Bank's wholesale services include electronically transferring funds through the Fedwire Funds Service and transferring securities issued by the U.S. government, its agencies, and certain other entities through the Fedwire Securities Service. Structure Organization of the Federal Reserve System The Federal Reserve System has a unique structure that is both public and private and is described as independent within the government rather than independent of government. The system does not require public funding, and derives its authority and purpose from the Federal Reserve Act, 
which was passed by Congress in 1913 and is subject to congressional modification or repeal. The four main components of the Federal Reserve System are, 1, the Board of Governors, 2, the Federal Open Market Committee, 3, the 12 regional Federal Reserve Banks, and, 4, the member banks throughout the country. The seven-member Board of Governors is a federal agency. It is charged with the overseeing of the 12 district reserve banks and setting national monetary policy. It also supervises and regulates the U.S. banking system in general. Governors are appointed by the President of the United States and confirmed by the Senate for staggered 14-year terms. One term begins every two years, on February 1st of even-numbered years, and members serving a full term cannot be renominated for a second term. Or shall continue to serve until their successors are appointed and have qualified. The law provides for the removal of a member of the board by the president for cause the board is required to make an annual report of operations to the Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. The chair and vice chair of the board of governors are appointed by the president from among the sitting governors. They both serve a four-year term and they can be renominated as many times as the president chooses, until their terms on the board of governors expire. Nominations, Confirmations, and Resignations In late December 2011, President Barack Obama nominated Jeremy C. Stein, a Harvard University finance professor and a Democrat, and Jerome Powell, formerly of Dylan Reed, Bankers Trust and the Carlyle Group 58 and a Republican. Both candidates also have Treasury Department experience in the Obama and George H.W. Bush administrations respectively. Obama administration officials had regrouped to identify Fed candidates after Peter Diamond, a Nobel Prize winning economist, withdrew his nomination to the board in June 2011 in the face of Republican opposition. Richard Clarita, a potential nominee who was a Treasury official under George W. Bush, pulled out of consideration in August 2011, one account of the December nominations noted. The two other Obama nominees in 2011, Janet Yellen and Sarah Bloom Raskin 60 were confirmed in September. One of the vacancies was created in 2011 with the resignation of Kevin Warsh, who took office in 2006 to fill the unexpired term ending January 31, 2018, and resigned his position effective March 31, 2011. Obama Stein and Powell nominations, dampening near term hopes for approval. However, Senate leaders reached a deal, paving the way for affirmative votes on the two nominees in May 2012 and bringing the board to full strength for the first time since 2006 with Duke's service after term end. Later, on January 6, 2014, the United States Senate confirmed Yellen's nomination to be chair of the Federal Reserve Board of Governors, she was the first woman to hold the position. Subsequently, President Obama nominated Stanley Fisher to replace Yellen as the vice chair. In April 2014, Stein announced he was leaving to return to Harvard May 28 with four years remaining on his term. At the time of the announcement, the FOMC already is down three members as it awaits the Senate confirmation of Fisher and Lael Brainerd, and as President Obama has yet to name a replacement for Duke. Powell is still serving as he awaits his confirmation for a second term. 
Alan R. Landon, former president and CEO of the Bank of Hawaii, was nominated in early 2015 by President Obama to the board. In July 2015, President Obama nominated University of Michigan economist Catherine M. Dominguez to fill the second vacancy on the board. The Senate had not yet acted on Landon's confirmation by the time of the second nomination. Daniel Tarallo submitted his resignation from the board on February 10, 2017, effective on or around April 5, 2017. Federal Open Market Committee The Federal Open Market Committee FOMC, consists of 12 members, 7 from the Board of Governors and 5 of the Regional Federal Reserve Bank Presidents. The FOMC oversees and sets policy on open market operations, the principal tool of national monetary policy. These operations affect the amount of Federal Reserve balances available to depository institutions, thereby influencing overall monetary and credit conditions. The FOMC also directs operations undertaken by the Federal Reserve in foreign exchange markets. The FOMC must reach consensus on all decisions. The President of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York is a permanent member of the FOMC, the presidents of the other banks rotate membership at two and three year intervals. All regional reserve bank presidents contribute to the committee's assessment of the economy and of policy options, but only the five presidents who are then members of the FOMC vote on policy decisions. The FOMC determines its own internal organization and, by tradition, elects the chair of the Board of Governors as its chair and the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York as its vice chair. Formal meetings typically are held eight times each year in Washington, D.C. Non-voting Reserve Bank presidents also participate in committee deliberations and discussion. The FOMC generally meets eight times a year in telephone consultations and other meetings are held when needed. There is very strong consensus among economists against politicizing the FOMC. Federal Advisory Council The Federal Advisory Council, composed of 12 representatives of the banking industry, advises the board on all matters within its jurisdiction. Federal Reserve Banks Map of the 12 Federal Reserve Districts with the 12 Federal Reserve Banks marked as black squares, and all branches within each district, 24 total, marked as red circles. The Washington DC headquarters is marked with a star. Also, a 25th branch in Buffalo, New York had been closed in 2008. The 12 Reserve Banks buildings in 1936. There are 12 Federal Reserve Banks, each of which is responsible for member banks located in its district. They are located in Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Cleveland, Richmond, Atlanta, Chicago, St. Louis, Minneapolis, Kansas City, Dallas, and San Francisco. The size of each district was set based upon the population distribution of the United States when the Federal Reserve Act was passed. The charter and organization of each Federal Reserve Bank is established by law and cannot be altered by the member banks. Member banks do, however, elect six of the nine members of the Federal Reserve Bank's boards of directors. Each regional bank has a president, who is the chief executive officer of their bank. Each regional reserve bank's president is nominated by their bank's board of directors, but the nomination is contingent upon approval by the board of governors. Presidents serve five-year terms and may be reappointed. 
Each regional banks board consists of nine members. Members are broken down into three classes, A, B, and C. There are three board members in each class. Class A members are chosen by the regional bank's shareholders, and are intended to represent member bank's interests. Member banks are divided into three categories, large, medium, and small. Each category elects one of the three Class A board members. Class B board members are also nominated by the region's member banks, but Class B board members are supposed to represent the interests of the public. Lastly, Class C board members are appointed by the Board of Governors, and are also intended to represent the interests of the public. Legal Status of Regional Federal Reserve Banks The Federal Reserve Banks have an intermediate legal status, with some features of private corporations and some features of public federal agencies. The United States has an interest in the Federal Reserve Banks as tax-exempt federally created instrumentalities whose profits belong to the federal government, but this interest is not proprietary. FTCA the Federal Tort Claims Act, but are independent, privately owned and locally controlled corporations. The opinion went on to say, however, that, the reserve banks have properly been held to be federal instrumentalities for some purposes. Another relevant decision is Scott v. Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City, in which the distinction is made between Federal Reserve Banks, which are federally created instrumentalities, and the Board of Governors, which is a federal agency. Regarding the structural relationship between the 12 Federal Reserve Banks and the various commercial, member, banks, political science professor Michael D. Reagan has written that, the ownership of the reserve banks by the commercial banks is symbolic, they do not exercise the proprietary control associated with the concept of ownership nor share, beyond the statutory dividend, in reserve bank profits. Bank ownership and election at the base are therefore devoid of substantive significance, despite the superficial appearance of private bank control that the formal arrangement creates. Member Banks a member bank is a private institution and owns stock in its regional Federal Reserve Bank. All nationally chartered banks hold stock in one of the Federal Reserve Banks. State chartered banks may choose to be members, and hold stock in their regional Federal Reserve Bank, upon meeting certain standards. The amount of stock a member bank must own is equal to 3% of its combined capital and surplus. However, Holding stock in a Federal Reserve Bank is not like owning stock in a publicly traded company. These stocks cannot be sold or traded, and member banks do not control the Federal Reserve Bank as a result of owning this stock. From the profits of the regional bank of which it is a member, a member bank receives a dividend equal to 6% of its purchased stock. The remainder of the regional Federal Reserve Bank's profits is given over to the United States Treasury Department. In 2015, the Federal Reserve Banks made a profit of $100.2 billion and distributed $2.5 billion in dividends to member banks as well as returning $97.7 billion to the U.S. Treasury. About 38% of U.S. banks are members of their regional Federal Reserve Bank. Accountability an external auditor selected by the Audit Committee of the Federal Reserve System regularly audits the Board of Governors and the Federal Reserve Banks. The GAO will audit some activities of the Board of Governors. These audits do not cover most of the Fed's monetary policy actions or decisions, 
including discount window lending, direct loans to financial institutions, open market operations, and any other transactions made under the direction of the Federal Open Market Committee, nor may the GAO audit dealings with foreign governments and other central banks. The annual and quarterly financial statements prepared by the Federal Reserve System conform to a basis of accounting that is set by the Federal Reserve Board and does not conform to generally accepted accounting principles GAAP, or Government Cost Accounting Standards The financial reporting standards are defined in the Financial Accounting Manual for the Federal Reserve Banks. The cost accounting standards are defined in the Planning and Control System Manual. As of 27 August 2012 update, the Federal Reserve Board has been publishing unaudited financial reports for the Federal Reserve Banks every quarter. November 7, 2008, Bloomberg LP News brought a lawsuit against the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System to force the Board to reveal the identities of firms for which it has provided guarantees during the financial crisis of 2007-2008. Bloomberg LP won at the trial court and the Fed's appeals were rejected at both the United States Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit and the U.S. Supreme Court. The data was released on March 31, 2011-88-89. Monetary Policy The term monetary policy refers to the actions undertaken by a central bank, such as the Federal Reserve, to influence the availability and cost of money and credit to help promote national economic goals. What happens to money and credit affects interest rates, the cost of credit, and the performance of an economy.